Matthew 3, verses 1 through 6. You can find it in your pew Bibles on page 1,499. 1,499. Matthew 3, verses 1 through 6. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Thus ends our reading of God's sufficient word. May all who hear it find themselves prepared for their king. When we last left off, Jesus was still just a child. He and his parents had fled to Egypt, escaping King Herod's grasp. However, they would not remain in Egypt for long, for shortly after Herod died and the threat on Jesus' life had ended. He and his family returned to Israel and settled in the town of Nazareth, which leads us to our passage for today, where we, where we read the words in those days. And what days? In the days of John the Baptist. Look at verse 1 again. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea. Here, the, Matthew has, has leapt the reader forward approximately 30 years. King Herod had died somewhere between the years of 4 B.C. and 2 B.C., and, and John the Baptist began his ministry between the years of 27 to 29 A.D. This means that Jesus was no longer a child, but a full-grown man over the age of 30. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Jesus' childhood. Luke gives us a, a small glimpse, but not much. He, he regales us with this little tale of, of when Jesus was 12 and his family visited the temple. But other than that, we, we hardly know anything about Jesus' life as a child. And, and Matthew chose to remain silent altogether. And there's probably wisdom in that decision. Instead, Matthew brings us to the days of John the Baptist. We're taking a slight detour. The focus is no longer on Christ, but on John the Baptist. At least so it seems. And John the Baptist, he came preaching in the desert of Judea. Now this, this desert of Judea was a hot and arid place north of the Dead Sea. It was sparsely populated and used mostly for grazing of sheep. So when, when one thinks of a place to start a ministry, this would not be it. 
However, John was not intent on, on gathering a huge following. What he, what he was interested in was his message. And it was in the wilderness that his words became apparent. You see, what we discover about John is that, is that he was a man who not only spoke the word of God, but, but lived it out as well. Like many of the, the prophets of old, John acted out the words that the Lord had given to him. He, he was like Ezekiel who, who shaved his beard and cut his hair into, into three, three different sections, symbolizing the three ways that, that the Jews would be destroyed by their enemies. Or he's like Hosea, who, who married a prostitute, demonstrating the unfaithfulness of the Jewish people. With John, he, he takes his ministry into the desert, into the wilderness, representing the, the, the wanderings of Israel, of, of God's people, for 40 years, when they were away from the promised land due to their unbelief. Similarly, John was indicating that, that Israel was far from the kingdom of God because they were steeped in sin and unbelief. They were not trusting in the Lord. And so we see, see John's message in verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now there are two things that we see in John's preaching. First, he gives a command, and then he gave a reason for that command. So his message consisted of two elements, repentance and the reality that the kingdom of heaven was close at hand. This Greek word translated into repent is metanoao, and it, and it means to, to change one's mind or to change one's purpose. When used in the context of sin, it speaks of a remorse that is so strong that, that the person changes their behavior. It is a sweeping transformation of the person's entire morality. In other words, John wasn't just telling the people to, to feel sorry for their sins and to ask for forgiveness. No. What he's saying is that a person needed to change the way they lived altogether. Think about your own life for a moment and ask yourself, have you ever had that moment of clarity? When you, when you see the sin in your life, and it doesn't matter what that sin is, but, but your sin has been laid out before you naked showing you the truth of what it really is. And it is repugnant and causes you deep shame. It gives you that, that feeling in your gut that you are in serious trouble. For there, there is no way that a, that a holy God can accept you as you are. And so the only thing that you want to do is be rid of it. That's repentance. And this was John's sermon. He was urgent about his message. 
Why was he urgent? Because the kingdom of heaven was near. Now, what did, what did John mean when he said the kingdom of heaven is near? There's a lot of confusion today when we speak of the kingdom of heaven. And much of this has to do with our modern definition of kingdom. When we think of a kingdom, we tend to think of a region of land. For instance, there's a kingdom of Great Britain, which is a geographical area consisting of England, Scotland, Wales, and Ireland. But the, but the Greek word that we define as kingdom is basilie. And its intended meaning is royal power or, or reign. It is the rule of a king more than the land he controls. So when John tells us that the, the kingdom of heaven is near, what he is saying is that the royal power that comes from heaven is at hand. So when you hear Matthew talking about the kingdom of heaven, he, he isn't talking about the heavens above or, or the place that you go to when you die. No. What he is what he's speaking of is God's rule, his, his royal power, where he establishes his control and his justice. And so there is good reason to repent. For God's presence was coming to his people. Would they be able to stand? In a very real sense, John's message was apocalyptic in nature. Throughout the Old Testament, the prophets brought forth a, a rising expectation of a divine rule that would come about quickly to bring justice and a new order in creation. And this message from John anticipates this coming kingdom. This is why in verse 3 we see the, the quote from Isaiah. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's sermon was one of preparation for the Lord was coming to his people and they must make the path straight for him. When I lived in Thailand, in, in the city of Chiang Mai, every, every now and then the, the king would leave Bangkok and come to visit his winter palace. Yet before his jet would land, the roads leading from the airport to that mountain palace would be blocked off. None could pass. They made it ready for the king. And until his motorcade went through and arrived at his palace, none would block his way. The people were prepared and they and they made sure that the road was smooth. You see, true royalty deserves a clear path. The king of heaven was coming. But would the people be prepared for his arrival? 
would the path be made straight? Matthew continues on in verse 4. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. Again, we see the symbolic nature of John's ministry. This, this vestment of camel's hair and this leather belt were not only the apparel of a poor man, but it, but it conjured up images of Elijah, for he also wore a garment made of hair and a leather belt. And John's diet was, was just as strange, consuming locusts and wild honey. Again, it, it was when I was in Thailand that my, my family and I experienced some strange food. Whether it was uh, malang tod, which means fried insects, or kai gao. Yeah, ooh, just wait till you hear this one. Kai gao, which means it's a fertilized duck egg with a partially grown embryo inside. Yeah. Yeah, different cultures have different tastes. And there's some things I did not taste. But, but, there's, but there's food for the rich and there's food for the poor, am I right? And what we see with John the Baptist was a live demonstration of wilderness living. Just as he set up camp in the desert of Judea, he now wore the attire and ate the food of one who made his home in the wilderness. One who was in short supply of resources. One who is in survival mode. You see, Matthew includes such details into his narrative for a reason. Because even though the Jews were now living in the promised land, even though they had this massive temple where they were free to worship their God, their hearts were far off in the wilderness. They were living in a false kingdom. What, what they had thought was a land flowing, flowing with milk and honey was really just an arid place, void of life. And that was why they needed to repent. Turning away from the, the comforts and the compromises of a heathen life. For the reign of heaven would soon be arriving. And the question was, would they be prepared? Would they be ready to welcome their king? Verse 5. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Even though John was in a remote place, the crowds flocked to him. There was a lot of buzz surrounding John's ministry. Here we see people coming from three geographical locations flowing to him. Jerusalem, Judea, and the region of the Jordan. There were many that heeded his message. And, and we see that, that John required of them two things. Confession of sins and baptism. 
These are the signs of true repentance. Confession is at the heart of repentance. And it it isn't just, just a New Testament thing. We see this written in the Old Testament as well. Look at Proverbs 28, verses 13 and 14. He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces him finds mercy. Blessed is the man who always fears the Lord, but he who hardens his heart falls into trouble. These two verses form a short chiastic structure, meaning that the, the, outer, the outer thoughts are tied together and the inner thoughts, they, they are also linked. So the one who conceals his sin is the man who hardens his heart. And the one who confesses and renounces is the one who always fears the Lord. Listen. What what, what confession really is, is a humbled heart. It is a person who who truly sees both his depravity and the holiness of God. And this is why he fears the Lord. For he knows that according to God's justice, he is guilty. And yet, the, the strange thing is that when he humbles himself... He finds mercy instead of judgment. True repentance leads to confession. And now there there are two factors when it comes to confession. First is an acknowledgement that the sin is actually a sin. Our society today has a hard time with this one. People have rejected God's word, and they have defined their own morality. They are are like like Tim, who we saw in that video. What, What did he say? When I was sinning, it didn't even feel like a sin. Unless a person has submitted to God's authority, there can be no true confession. The second part of confession only comes after a person has accepted God's word. For it is only then that they are able to recognize that that this sin is their own fault. In other words, they, they take ownership of it. They don't blame someone else, but they see the depravity within themselves. Dear friends, are you under the submission of God's word? Or do you try to excuse your sin by by telling yourself that that what you're doing, it just really isn't that bad? Secondly, if you know that your actions go against the will of God, do you take responsibility for them? Or do you try to blame other people or even God for the sins in your life? Repent and confess. The second thing that John required was baptism. Again, we see the the symbolic nature of John's ministry. Now, there there were different types of baptisms during John's day. 
The Greek word used here is baptizo. And it can mean either immersing or dipping or sprinkling, depending on the context. It is a word that, that describes the cleansing of something. For example, in the, in the Old Testament, we see specific cleansing rituals. These are rituals that the Levites had to go through. Look at Numbers 8, verses 5 through 7. The Lord said to Moses, Take the Levites from among the other Israelites and make them ceremonially clean. To purify them, do this. Sprinkle the water of cleansing on them. Then have them shave their whole bodies and wash their clothes and so purify themselves. Here we see the, the baptism of purification. These Levites had to be washed for they were, they were set apart from the rest of the community in service to the Lord. In other words, they were being made holy. Another type of baptism was the was was practice of uh, proselyte baptism. And this was when a, a Gentile wanted to convert to Judaism. And the last step of this process was to be cleansed by the immersing into the water. So when, when John went out into the wilderness baptizing Jews, there would have been a, a lot going on in the minds of the people. There was this aspect that they needed to be cleansed from their sins. They needed to be made holy. And yet there was also this notion that, that even though they were born Jewish, they were not truly God's people and needed to be baptized in. And so we see this theme running throughout John's ministry of, of a people wandering in the wilderness outside of the kingdom of God. His message was a call of repentance for the rain from heaven was near. You see, John was a forerunner of Christ. That, that prophecy that we read in verse 3, this is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, that, that prophecy continues on. Look at Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 11. A voice of one calling, In the desert prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, and rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I say, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the, and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. 
You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He, he gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This kingdom that was coming, this royal power that, that originates from heaven was at the door. The glory of the Lord would be revealed to the people. John was preparing them. Those who, who were like grass in the field. One day they flourish and the next day they wither. Jesus was coming. And each one would have to make a choice. John had laid a fork in the road. Either they could remain prideful refusing to repent, facing the convicting breath of the Lord, or they could humble themselves, turn from their sins, and find mercy from the shepherd who holds them close to his heart. Brothers, sisters, this choice is before you as well. You can either remain stubborn and, and persist in the wilderness outside of the kingdom. Or you can turn from your wickedness and trust in Christ, the one who died for your sins and rose from the dead, and find mercy. Look to Jesus. You will find salvation in no one else. Let us pray. Father, we are all like sheep that have gone astray. And in our pride, we, we hide from you. Our good shepherd, help us to repent. May we, may we trust in you and turn from our sins. Aid us now by, by your Holy Spirit. Guide us by your Son who died for our sins. We pray this in his name. Amen.